Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I'm April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to interview some of the most influential people involved in the fishing world today. Here I learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both on and off the water. Carl McNeil is a man who is full of surprises. Whether he means to or not, he seems to almost always find a way to break industry norms. While the fly fishing industry commonly promotes fast action graphite rods, Carl has put his name on his own line of beautifully crafted fiberglass rods. When fishing videos seem to have lost any sense of storyline, Carl produced, wrote, and narrated several engaging films, including Once in a Blue Moon, an award-winning New Zealand-based documentary that had anglers around the globe talking. Yes, Carl McNeil seems to always have a surprise up his sleeve, a surprise that somehow seems to shake the fly fishing world. What's so astounding is that he manages to do so from a tiny village near the bottom of New Zealand's South Island. Quite literally, he is causing a stir from the most remote corner of the world. Probably like uh, most young guys, most kids in New Zealand, my dad took me fishing when I was a little kid. We lived in a, a little town called Tianao down south in Fiordland, and yeah, he was a fisherman, so yeah, I can remember probably my first fish. First fishing rod was uh, not much more than a wooden dowel um, with some builder's twine on it, and I can remember being in a little boat on Lake Tianao, um trolling like a, you know, a silver spoon or something with this little dowel, and uh, I'm sure Dad made it just to kind of shut me up and keep me entertained. <laughs> and lo and behold, I actually caught a fish. And um, 
the whole thing went out the back of the boat. So like, I remember kind of looking down the lake and seeing this little stick and shh, yeah. So, oh no, but, <laughs> that's yeah. traumatizing. Yeah, and he was a fly, and he fly fish too. So yeah, so, most Kiwi kids go fishing. Yeah. So you're born and raised in New Zealand. Yep. On the South Island. Correct. Do you get up to the North Island often? Uh, no, not often. Um, I used to travel a lot for work in a prior life. I worked in IT and did a lot of internet and media work. Uh, and I travelled to the North Island a bit. But, yeah, no, I'm really happy staying down down south. We call the North Island Pig Island. Pig Island? Pig Island. <laughs> and the South Island is the mainland. So this is the place to be. Why Pig Island? Um, I'm actually not sure. It's a very good question. I, I think, yeah, it's just some sort of derogatory term. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So if you had to explain to somebody who had never been to New Zealand before what the difference was between the North and the South, what would you say? Oh, good question, good question. Um, well, New Zealand, I mean, as you know, is a very, very diverse country. There's a lot going on in a tiny little country. And the South Island is uh, tends to be more rural. Uh, it's a slower pace of life generally. Uh, we have a much larger population in Auckland, uh, in the North Island. Auckland is almost two-thirds of the country's whole population live in one city. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, well, we're told that the South Islanders tend to, you know, move a bit slower and talk a bit slower. And, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's yeah. not a bad thing. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. But, we, yeah, we choose to live down here. It's a bit crazier, I think. Now, you live in Wanaka. Wanaka, yeah. Wanaka, yeah. which is a gorgeous little town. It is. And it's a ski town. Yeah. So, how did you end up here? Ah, oh, that is a very good question. Um, so, I was kind of uh, born and grew up in a couple of little small rural towns, one in Fiordland mm-hmm. uh, and another one not far down the road where my parents live, only an hour away. And the region that we're in is uh, central Otago with the southern lakes, and I love it here. For careers, uh, Jeannie, my wife, lived in a city for a long time, and you know we always wanted to get back to you know, in the mountains and the lakes and all those good things. So, yeah, when we had the opportunity, we came back um, to Wanaka. And we're here because, um, yeah, it's a beautiful place to be. We ski and we fish and we have a boat and we water ski and we camp and hunt and do all those things. So it's, yeah, perfect. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. So here you are, you're in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. and you've got a wonderful wife. Mm -hmm. Indeed I do. When did you enter into the fly fishing industry? Great question. Uh, good question. I was uh, unemployed at the time uh, by choice. I was uh, in the IT industry for a long time, built up uh, quite a large successful company and sold it uh, and decided, you know, what am I going to do? Well, I went fly fishing for five years, actually, uh, met my wife and she's an adventurer and we kind of flossed around the world just having a jolly good time of it, really. Jeannie, my wife, uh, is a documentary filmmaker and so a lot of our friends and associates uh, were in television and film. Mm-hmm. My very best friend is an extremely talented, and fly fishing mate, is a really talented cameraman. And that, that's Earl? Earl, Earl Kingy. Okay. Yeah. And we, f- we have fly fished together as fishing buddies, fishing mates for years. Right. And, you know, as you do, on a rainy Sunday afternoon, we would watch, you know, fishing videos and movies. And we were... We'd, kind of, to be honest, you know, appalled at how crap they were. Yeah. This is a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and every time we kind of watched one of these on a rainy Sunday afternoon, we'd look at each other and go, you know, mate, we should be make one of those. Fuck, we could do a better job of that. I said, of course we could. Da-da-da-da-da. And this went on. This conversation went on, you know, every second, rainy Sunday afternoon for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Until I had subsequently sold that business and had time 
And um, yeah, we just thought, you know, great. Instead of talking about it, let's actually do it. It will be fun. And what the only thing we really wanted to do, well, we needed a story. We felt really strongly that none of those films, um, there was any story around it. A lot of them were fish porn and pretty crap fish porn. <laughs> so we just wanted to make a really beautiful film uh, with a really nice soundtrack. And it was just not only lovely to look at, but told a story. And that's not, as you know, that's not uh, necessarily the easiest thing. No, it's hard to find fresh stories. Exactly. And particularly something that is, you know, original or semi-original. So we kind of mulled it over for, again, another couple of years until uh, we got into this mouse thing. And uh, the story is true. Um, and in that, you know, that the famed mouse year in New Zealand, I grew up with that as a kid. And nobody really did really know what it was. And just kind of talking to older anglers, we were coming into one of these, you know, you can say I'm doing inverted commas, mouse year. <laughs> so I phoned Earl. Earl, we've got a mouse year coming up. What the hell is that? I don't know. Let's make a film on that. So we did. And we were very fortunate that the film did really well. And this is Once in a Blue Moon. It's Once in a Blue Moon. It was a major, it is a major success. People are still talking about it. It still sells really well. So anybody who hasn't seen the film, can you tell me a summary of what the story is? Uh, the story is about, um, is, <laughs> the story is about the New Zealand bush and a weird phenomenon that uh, once in a blue moon, about every 10 years or so, our beach forest flowers and as a result the mouse population goes berserk, the mm -hmm. bush is full of mice. The mice kind of um, eat out house and home and like lemmings have to move, they start swimming and after a couple of months, uh, trout key in on them and you know, start eating mice and you know, for um, you know, trout that are usually eating little invertebrates, they're now eating cheeseburgers. So, <laughs> right. so they put on a lot of weight and they get very, very big and very, very aggressive. Um, so, you know, and as a result, we kind of, you know, we're almost responsible, I think, for the you know the mousing phenomenon. That's now it's common. It's in everyday fly fishing, you know, parlance. Is we're going mousing, and um, oh yeah. So then that's really what the story was about. We 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 set out to understand: a was it real? Was it you know just a? I was going to say an old wives' tale, an old you know house husband's tale. Was it real? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, it is. It is real, and it did happen. And and there's a set of. Um, very specific scientific events that have to occur in order for this phenomenon to take place. And we thought that was kind of interesting, and that's what the film's about. What did that, <clears throat> excuse me, what did that do for fishing in New Zealand? Did it bring a lot of people here? Uh, I know for a fact that it did, because we have friends that operate in uh, the tourism industry in Fjordland. Uh, they own helicopter companies and guides, and I know that, you know, five, you know for the five years afterwards... Everyone wanted to go to Fjordland and fish mice patterns for, you know, ridiculously big brown trout. It certainly did. Yeah. So then what happens? Because you've got this major success. Jeannie is brilliant. And I mean, yeah, she is. you already mentioned she's a documentary maker. I found out last night over dinner that she's, you said, one of the only women who can dive where in the Antarctica? She's one of the few uh, women that's experienced and has the qualifications to dive under the ice in Antarctica. And that was a big part of her job with Natural History New Zealand is that she was there... Their um, ice diving chick. She was an underwater cameraman and camera woman, and uh, she had a pair of groovy pink fins. And yeah, used to dive underneath the ice, you know, filming with owl seals and killer whales. And awesome! Mm, so yeah, you've got this incredible. great team, the two of you. Yep, yep. And yeah, and Earl, yeah, the crazy mate, the so cameraman. So between yeah. the three of you, perfect team. Perfect you guys team. are the perfect team. So perfect. you know, the world's your oyster. Is that yeah. the saying? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the world's your um, your mouse. Yeah. Did yeah. you guys? 
jump on to the next documentary? Did you take some time off? What did you do? Uh, that's a very good question. What did we do? We had a baby, and that, <laughs> that kind of put a spanner in the works. Oh, that gets in the way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So my business partner and, you know, life partner, um, yeah, we, uh, we, when uh, Once in a Blue Moon was being filmed, Jenny was pregnant. Um, so we kind of took a bit of a hiatus and uh, <laughs> had uh, Jesse, who's now seven, and the light of our life. Um, and the thing was, is because we were self-employed, well, I had been self-employed for a long time, um, I chose not to work for about five years because no dad, very few dads get to spend, you know, the first five years uh, with their child. Yeah. Dads have to go to work, nine to five, you know, fuck, they don't see their kids. Just stop swearing. So I thought, oh, bugger it, you know, know, I'll just, we'll be a dad. So we just kind of potted away and did some little projects and we couldn't really do any of those big blue chip docos because it's a lot of time away and, you know, it was just, you know, and and as a mother, you know, Jenny doesn't want to be, you know, getting sandfly bites and eaten by mosquitoes. and She wants to be with her baby. So, uh, yeah, so we thought about, you know, what could we do that we could do close by, uh, further leveraged, you know, the team's expertise, and it was, you know, it was clearly a fly casting DVD. Um, so there had been, you know, a lot of fantastic fly casting DVDs done by, you know, people that, you know, I admire and worship, you know, Joan Wolfe and, um, you know, Lefty Cray and Mal Krieger, but there hadn't been done one done recently for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'd been, a, again, a few average ones, so I said to Earl, let's make a... Fly casting DVD. And, and you certainly have your credentials. You're a master's caster. Uh, yeah, was I a master? Yeah, a I was master. a master then. Yeah, 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 I was a master casting instructor. So, yeah, we wrote a script and, um, yeah, we filmed a fly casting DVD. And we just, we tried to make it pretty. Uh, and I think we did. And it's a reasonably, you know, there was a lot, there's a lot that I would do differently now. Um, yeah, and it was successful. So we were, you know, we were fortunate with that. I'm one, very so. comfortable to sit here and look you dead in the face or straight yep. in the eye and tell you yep. that it's the best casting DVD I've ever seen. That's, yeah, that's, thank you very much. Yeah. That makes me blush. But, yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So then Thanks. what happens? Uh, so that was, yeah, so that kind of worked. And um, so now, you know, our baby's born and little Jesse's kind of two, three, and probably old enough to travel now. So we kind of think, well, we should make another doco because they're fun. You know, it's a huge amount of fun. Uh, and as you know, that's what you do. You know, travel and take photos, make films. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have uh, an old dear friend, uh, Bob Wyatt, who phoned me one day and said, uh, I want to take my wife away on a romantic island holiday. He'd obviously been in the bad box and couldn't buy enough flowers <laughs> or something. But, you know, the caveat with all blokes... I'd like to go somewhere where there's some fishing. Yeah. And, so, and I'd done a little bit of travel, uh, a little bit of travel in the Pacific Islands. And so I said, look, I've got the place for you. You need to go to Aitutaki and the Cook Islands. I had taken their Jeannie and uh, myself and Earl had taken our girlfriends there under the same premise many, many years ago. We'll take the girls away to romantic, you know, Pacific Island and we'll just tuck in the bonefish rods while we go. Right. So we knew of this great place. I sent Bob there. He took his, his wife there. They had a terrific time. When Bob was there, he met a young uh, native guy, local guy, uh, who was a bonefish netter who wanted to uh, get rid of his gill nets and um, start a small business as a guide. And Bob said, look, I know him. I've got a mate in New Zealand that is a fly casting instructor, uh, knows a little bit about fly fishing, and you know maybe we could talk to him, and he might come over and help you. So uh, Bob hooked us up with this guy, Etu Etu Davy, 
and we talked, we got on Skype, uh, and yeah, we kind of made a deal, and the deal was that uh, we would come over and you know help E2 train him up, um, help him you know build a little business, teach him how to fly cast, how to tie flies, how to tie knots, all that stuff. Uh, and the quid pro quo would be that he would burn his gill nets, he would stop netting in the lagoon. Wow. We would help start a business for him, and the proviso was that we would take a camera because um, it sounded like an inc- potentially just an awesome story. You know, it's kind of you know a good guy goes bad. You know, send the fox to guard the chicken coop kind of thing. It was just right. perfect. And as it turned out, um, yeah, it, it, it was a pretty good story. So we made a film about that called E2's Bones, and Earl uh, came and helped film that. Uh, we spent a lot of time in the Pacific. Jessie, because she wasn't yet at school, sort of, you know, slept with the chickens on a burry in the beach. And, oh, and she came with you guys? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll show you photos. She was just tiny little tot, and she would go with all the big mummers, you know, during the day, and we'd go out filming on the lagoon and come back, and, you know, Jessie would be, you know, yeah, just a little island girl. How cool. Yeah, so we made that film called Eti's Bones. We got some support from uh, Sage, uh, Costa, and uh, Patagonia. Uh, and we made that little doco. But the success story is not the doco. The success story is Itu. So Itu uh, has gone on to... He now runs uh, three full-time boats. He employs his two brothers and a couple of cousins. Uh, so here's a guy who was, you know, netting the shit out of the lagoon, who's now a really successful businessman and environmentalist. Yeah. Uh, and he's feeding a whole village. It's just a great, great, yeah, it was just an awesome, you, know, you just couldn't dream of a better outcome. That is one of the most inspirational stories oh, I've ever heard. Cool. Oh, it's just cool. Oh, just, you know, well, it's all E2. He did it all. Man, he worked so hard. Could you take that DVD and distribute it amongst other small villages and hope that it might inspire them as well? Uh, we have. We've sent... It's funny you ask that. Um, we sent... Because there was some similar stuff that may still be happening, I don't know, in Hawaii with, you know, bone fishing there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've used that uh, DVD and subsequent study as kind of a case study to do more work with indigenous peoples that want to set up, you know, sustainable recreational fisheries because, as we were saying last night, um, it kind of ticks all the boxes. Around the Pacific, there's a lot of displaced fishermen. Uh, there's a lot of challenges through, you know, increased fishing pressure, sea level rise, um, you know, global warming, whatever you like to call it. So there's a lot of fishermen out there, young and old, uh, with nothing to do, mm-hmm. no fish. So this is a great way to kind of repurpose uh, really talented fishermen uh, with small sustainable businesses. And the businesses are perfect. It's catch and release. All the fish go back. You know, they're not killing them. They're earning a lot more money. It's ecotourism, and it supports other industries within the village. So, you know, some somebody's making packed lunches. Somebody's, you know, renting out their barry to stay. Somebody's, you know, making hand-carved whatever. Somebody's making great skirt. It's just, it's just perfect. It's, yeah, it all you know, comes so, together, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it's really ideal. And, and low impact. Uh, and brings in, probably, you know, for local economies, more importantly, it brings in um, export dollars. What a great so, idea. So, well, it's not our, well, it's not really our, our idea. It just kind of happened. So, um, yeah, so we've, we've kind of, we've done another two or three similar projects, which we'd like to do a lot more of. Yeah. Now, you sell these on your website. Yep. Which is on the Fly Productions. Uh, we sell, every, all our online stuff now is at swiftflyfishing.com, which is kind of our commercial, um, um, yep, the, the documentary company is called On The Fly, but yeah, it doesn't... Let's yeah, talk about Swift, because it's interesting to me. On Swift, I can go there and buy some of the most beautiful glass rods I've seen, mm-hmm. and I can buy a video teaching me how to yep. how to cast. You, you, you do so much, and because of the different branding, I, I 
it took me forever to figure out that oh, it's you're confusing. the guy. Yeah, you're, you're that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to use this opportunity to share to the world who this guy is because you're a lot more talented than just the guy who does videos. And you're a lot more talented than the guy who just builds rods. And you seem to have your fingers in all these pots. Tell, <laughs> tell me a little bit about who who you are. Who do you call your? What do you call yourself to people when they ask me what you personally? Do? Yeah, that's hilarious because people say we go out to dinner or meet someone, and they'll say, "What do you do?" Do you just take a deep and I, breath? And I and I take and, you go, and I, I say, "Look, to be honest, I haven't got a fucking idea." <laughs> um, you know, I suppose four year, five years ago, I was a, we were a, we or I was a filmmaker and producer. That's what I did. We made. Uh, films. They just so happened to be our own films because, you know, having had experience working with networks, we chose to be totally independent. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, and, you know, and through all this, we've kind of evolved into fly rods and some other bits and pieces. Um, Not kind of. I hate to break it to you, friend, but you are fully immersed in uh, fly rods. Your yeah. name goes hand in hand with one of the top rod builders uh, or glass companies in the world right now. Well, that's very cool. Um, that's good to hear because we're way down the bottom of the world here. I'm not sure what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, what I call myself, like, I don't know. I mean, we're just, entre- I suppose we're entrepreneurial. It's what we do. I mean, like you, you know, there's a number of things in and around the industry that we've chosen to play with, just like a good self. So, I mean, what do you call yourself? Same thing. You busy? Know? <laughs> yeah, busy. That's right. Well, yeah, yeah. So. My full-time job is being busy. Yeah, yeah. And you've guided and, you know, you've been in, you are an inbound tourist operator and you're doing some merchandising and yeah, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Fingers in pots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about your rods because yep. I'm impressed. We're sitting in your workshop right now. Yep. Oh, dear. Where to start? Uh, oh, I told you this when you picked me up yesterday. I know a lot about graphite. I know mm-hmm. a lot about bamboo. I know nothing about glass. So why don't we start from the beginning and let's chat a little bit about why. Because I know my first mm-hmm. rod was an old Shakespeare eight yep. glass rod. I learned on glass. Exactly. I was so excited to get away from glass. Yep. Why is glass back? What are the advantages to fishing with glass rods? Uh, I think, you know, when we made that apparently quantum leap from glass to uh, carbon fiber, you call it graphite. I say, you know, graphite goes in pencils. This is carbon fiber. <laughs> okay, we'll call it carbon we, fiber. we missed out on some good stuff. And now there's some really modern glass that is, you know, reasonably fast and, um, you know, a lot lighter than, you know, some of the stuff you have may have had in the past. The advantages or what may, not necessarily advantages, I don't think glass, uh, may or may not be better. Um what makes glass unique? You're familiar with bamboo, so mm-hmm. bamboo has some real soul to it. You know, it's quite forgiving. Uh, it bends a little slower. It returns back to straight uh, a little slower. Um, and glass has some properties, particularly in shorter length rods and lighter weights, you know, the, the threes, the fours, the fives, that personally I and many, many other anglers think are superior to carbon fibre. So it's extremely strong. Uh, it's uh, a lot stronger in terms of tensile strength than most of the carbon fibres we use. It is slower. It does bend more, most definitely. It is a little heavier. Uh, and it just has a little... I mean, you'll cast some this afternoon. It has just a little more uh, a little more soul to it. And as I kind of matured as a fly angler and a fly caster, I went wanted slower stuff. And I think I said to you over last night after, you know, quaffing too many wines, many years ago, because I was on Sage's Pro Stuff for a while, I used to fa- only cast extremely fast, quick rods. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a, you know, young, small dick thing, I think. And, um, you know, a guy on, I remember it, and I can't remember his name because I need to apologise to him. Many years ago, a guy on some forums told me that as I matured as an angler and a fly caster, I would appreciate uh, slower 
actioned rods. Right. And I kind of lambasted him, you know, publicly and said he was, you know, an asshole and what, you know, what did he, you know, what did he know anyway? Right, right. Uh, and I need, to, you know, and I need to find out who that was to apologise because he was absolutely correct. He was absolutely right. Right. And, um, so I fished uh, graphite a lot, and the fishing that I do, most of the fishing is uh, low country streams, actually, not far from here. They are big fish. Yeah, they are big fish. <laughs> in, in pretty still, slow water, fishing dry flies. We're only presenting flies, you know, 25 to 30 feet. And I'm a presentationist as a fly angler. You know, I don't tie any imitative flies. I think it's all about presentation. That's why I'm a fly caster. I learned to fly cast to be a better angler so I catch more fish. No other reason, actually. And I found that um, using my kind of six-weight, nine-foot graphite rod and my big six-weight line, I was spooking fish. And you kind of think, you know, what's that extra 5%? How could I get better tomorrow? What could I do? And all anglers do this, you know. Mm -hmm. What did I do wrong? You know, was it the fly? Was it my knot? You know, all those little kind of zero percenters that you've got to kind of squeeze out of your game to get really good. Not that I'm a competitive angler, but... I don't like not catching fish, let's be honest. No, that's crap. I hate not catching fish (laughs) or losing fish. So a couple of seasons ago, I thought, well, what I can do now is go down to really small rods. I could go down to like four-weight rods and fish really light lines with, you know, very minimal disturbance and shadow, and that would kind of be the next way to sharpen my game. Well, those little graphite rods break on, well, we're breaking on the fish that we're catching, particularly when they come to the net, Mm. you know, when you kind of have to, you know, that That last last high stick. Yeah. And yeah, we were. I was popping, um, popping a couple of rods, and I very seldom break rods. So, you know, it was kind of okay. Well, maybe we need to get a, you know, use bamboo rods. Well, bamboo rods were kind of expensive, and I went back to glass. So I started fish, fishing a rod that I started with as a kid, as a oh, four, thirteen-year-old. Um, and even though it was kind of a crap rod, the prob- breakage problem just wasn't a problem anymore. So great, okay, glass rods, and um, I got interested in glass. Uh, and we started, yeah, started making them, I suppose, and here we are with a workshop full of glass rods. But why do you think glass ever lost its popularity in the first place? Uh, look, I don't know, and there would be, you know, many better first than I to talk about that, but uh, I suspect that in our pursuit for, you know, the latest, greatest, last, you know, lightest, fastest, stiffer, you know, better, when uh, carbon fibre came onto the market, we kind of probably all abandoned ship, um, and probably, and yeah, certainly in some cases to our detriment, you know, there's a lot of great old uh, glass rods, there's a lot of great old bamboo rods, and a lot of great uh, carbon fibre rods, so, there's, yeah. There's been a huge surge yeah, of glass huge rods lately, yep, lately yep. especially in the last few years. Most definitely. What do you credit that to? Uh, pretty much down, <laughs> down to one guy, Cameron Mortensen, that... Uh, <laughs> At the fiberglass manifesto, so yeah. staring at his poster on yeah, the yeah, wall yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, that's why I've got his poster there. So Cam, pretty much, you know, single-handedly is the he's the kind of the high priest of glass, and um, yeah, Cameron Swanson. Oh, have I got a sticker there somewhere? It's, you know, glass is not dead. Right, know, that's his hashtag. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Cam has been a huge supporter of uh, glass, and yeah, he has a whole website, and he has supported um, you know lots of glass enthusiasts and there has always been an underground sort of glass enthusiast thing yeah it really is kind of this yeah. underground yeah it's and i was telling you earlier it has this boutique feel to it yeah yeah, yeah. I, I really feel drawn to it because it's cool as yeah. you know i love art yep I, that's why yep. i love my bamboo rods and with glass i just always thought back to my old shakespeare eight weight and it was a hideous thing it was an mm-hmm. atrocity but when i look at these rods here they are art 
They're art. It's artwork. Probably, yeah. So, what about the rest of the industry? Are the other manufacturers paying attention? Uh, yeah. So as a, yeah, so Cam, as I say, yeah, Cameron's kind of yeah, led the charge really, and there are a number of um, you know amazing rod builders over the all over the world that build all sorts of rods. And there's a little niche there that uh, there's a few guys, no girls that I know of yet, that build um, glass rods. Mm-hmm. And Cameron's been you know a great advocate in supporting them in their business and you know all those good things and. Um, and we have the privilege of working with a handful of those uh, people too. And they make works of art. I'll, um, I haven't yet, but I'll show you a couple of rods that they've made for me. There's one here by um, Shane Gray from Gray Wolf Rods in the States. He's made me a rod. They're just absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And guys collect these. There's a lot of well-known people um, that just collect fiberglass rods. It's just their thing. Some people are into cane, you know, so... Yeah, well... I. Looking at your client list, you're you've got some people who really appreciate your rods. Why yeah. see Yvonne Schwenard loves yep. your rod? He fishes yep. one of your rods. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so yeah, so as I say, it's a, yeah, it's a, it is a privilege we get to. There's a few guys, um, and look, I, you know, I'll name them because they they deserve ups. Um, you know, and that is uh, Zeb Tonkovich at Snowman um, Custom Rod Works, Shane Gray at uh, Gray Wolf. Uh, there is George Minculette at Tight Loop Fly Rods in Romania. Um, there is Christian Horgren at um, Fine Tackle in Sweden. And, and, the, and you'll see those guys, their builds, on our website and on our Facebook page. And they, the, the stuff that they do are absolute works of art. They are absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and we have the, you know, the privilege of that. Occasionally, they'll build a rod on one of our blanks, uh, which... So the success that we've had is due primarily due to uh, Cameron uh, helping and supporting what we were doing and sort of a heightened awareness of the benefits of glass, and there are lots, you know, and working with these really, really groovy artisan uh, rod makers. So we've been really fortunate. We have really have kind of got sucked along for the ride, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah. So you have yeah. five main rod builders who work with you, is that right? Yep, we've, so yeah. How does that work? So uh, we have five guys, small companies, and that we, we kind of we certify them as epic rod builders, if you like. And so you're very choosy then. Yeah, extremely. On yeah, who extremely. Can be an epic rod yeah, builder. and the reason is is that um, you know everything we've done thus far, and the rods are no different. Uh, we aim to be exceptional. Everything we do, we aim to be you know the very best that we can be. So if somebody approaches me, and this happens daily, uh, you know I would like a custom rod built on one of your epic. You know, 580 blanks, can you recommend a rod builder? Well, for us to recommend a rod builder, we want to know that they not only give, you know, great service, but they're going to make, an, you know, an awesome job of the rod, happy customer, makes our product look good. So, um, yeah, so the best of the best, the creme de la creme, are the guys that we unreservedly uh, recommend to, to, to do our stuff on. And we also supply another... Uh, you know, 30, 35 uh, rod builders around the world with product. Um, and, you know, they may or may not become certified epic rod builders. They may not want to, but, yeah. So there's kind of five really groovy, very, very good ones that we work with. Now, you sell a, a rod building kit. Yep. It is one of the coolest things I've ever seen, to the point where, I mean, I I'm want gonna, to, I want to, build, to build one. one. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get that idea? Because even the box make, turns into a table so that it holds your rod for you yep. while you're building it. it. It is one of the most thoughtful things I've ever seen. So that one, uh, so necessity is the mother invention, as you well know. Mm-hmm. So the challenge that we have is that we live uh, in New Zealand. 
which is a long way from anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, generally, most of the time we really like it like that. Yeah. Uh, trying to do business, that's a total pain in the ass. Uh-huh. We're a long way from anywhere. Especially with merchandise and shipping. Exactly, exactly. And, and, and you know, very small insular in terms of, you know, skills and talents. You know, we're a talented, good-looking bunch, no doubt about it. <laughs> but we didn't have any rod builders here. Or, you know, and so when we started doing these blanks... My end game was is to produce, um, you know, really gorgeous boutique, bespoke, not full custom, but bespoke fly rods here in Wanaka, working with local people and local artisans. You know, we have a local woman sews our rod socks, and we kind of want to do that here. And I want to do that so that, you know, I can see them going out the shop, and they're all, you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and all groovy. I kind of like that, being mm-hmm. a control freak, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I couldn't find a rod builder. We had, There's no rod builders here. Rod builders are like watchmakers. They are as rare as hen's teeth. And good rod makers are even rarer. So I couldn't find one. Mm-hmm. So I've got all these, you know, I've designed all these blanks, and I've been building all these rods myself to, you know, to cast them and, you know, change them and get them where I want them. Got all these blanks coming in. We've got all this cork made and all these fittings that I've designed. And nobody to build them. So I'm saying to Jenny, gee, fuck, what are we going to do with all this shit? Because you know, I still can't find a rod builder. Right. So the obvious, obvious solution was never to build a rod. Just don't build a rod. So we spent some time uh, building a, uh, putting together a, a rod building kit and a really good instruction manual. And we take all the components that we uh, will and do use on our own rods. We put them in a groovy box and we ship them out. And you can kind of you know, have the pleasure of building a funky, you know, orange, green, yellow, blue, or clear, transparent rod in the privacy of your own home. So, yeah, so we ship those all around the world every day. There's six going out right as we speak. So, I know that one of the big deterrents to people buying fly rods these days are the price. A yep. lot of people have a hard time with the price tag. Exactly. And the kits sell for... The kits, uh, so New Zealand dollars, they're around 500 bucks. What's that in US dollars? Uh, oh, about 400 odd dollars, you know, which is still which is still pricey. You know, you could buy a shitty sort of rod kitty thing. Nobody does exactly what we do for, you know, I don't know, probably 95 bucks. I don't know. Um but for people that buy our kit, they get the very best components that money can buy. You know, it's, it is A-grade. You've seen the cork. You remarked on the cork this morning. Mm-hmm. It is it's the beautiful. best cork you'll see on a production rod. Gorgeous blanks uh, made in New Zealand. Fantastic hardware that is all OEM, you know, CNC machined for me. Uh, snake brand guides from the US. A bit, uh, Japanese silk. Mm-hmm. And um, we've matched those all together, so it's like a kind of a Meccano. It's like a Lego set. So all the components fit together perfectly. They haven't got a ream out cork. All the handles uh, fit on the blanks perfectly. And if they want to make their own rod kit, they save about four hundred bucks. Yeah, because there's a huge labour component in making <clears throat> the fly rod. Excuse me, sorry. Yeah, That's sorry. the thing, and they get to have this beautiful, high quality yep. rod. And all the hard work's done, you know, four or five hundred bucks. Yeah. And, uh, and really, if you can tie, if you can tie, do a decent job of tying a fly, you can build a fly rod. It's not, there's no voodoo in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, nothing like, you know, Zeb Tonkovich and Shane Gray, they're remarkable, but, you know, you can do a pretty respectable job. So yeah. in, in trying to design a blank taper, mm-hmm. how much work goes into that? Uh, well, a lot, and most of it happens uh, in, a, in the factory at the other end of the com- uh, country uh, in Auckland. So I, I have never rolled uh, a rod uh, in my life. Uh, so we work with CTS in Auckland, They're a very clever company that roll tubes, and they do roll um, all sorts of fishing rod blanks. Is that the engineering company? Yeah, yeah, okay. um, up in the far north, and they do a terrific job. And I'm a fly, so I don't, you know, I'm not a composites engineer, I'm a fly caster, so I, you know, know what I want with fly rods, so we just, you know, work together collaboratively, 
to get flow rides that bent uh, and did what I wanted to do. And that, and that really is, uh, there's nothing technical about it. It really is trial and error. Um, so, you know, Stephen would roll a blank for us. It would come down here to Wanaka. I had to teach myself how to make a rod because I had to cast the damn things. Mm-hmm. So I would put those rods in a jig, uh, strap them to a wall here, which I can show you, measure the bend and profile and some static deflection tests and do some basic maths. And and that's all kind of good, but at the end of the day, the proof's in the casting. And, mm-hmm. you know, so you make it into a fly rod, whack a fly line on it and cast it and see if it does what you, as the designer, wanted to do. How many tapers did you have to go through till you got to where you're at today? Uh, the, five, the five weight, um, we went through like 10 or 12 iterations. Ooh, and how many time, How long well, does it take per Oh, that's, well, taper. you know, it takes two months to, yeah. I mean, that, well, that was probably over a year just to do that one rod because Stephen would roll one, come down. You know, we're doing other things in our business, of course. This is making no money. This is costing a huge amount of time and effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would come down. I'd measure it, you know, log it in my book, put it in my computer, build a rod out of it, you know, and go and cast it, take notes, measure it, send that information back to Stephen. And there's simple things like, you know, I need to be 25% stiffer here or the tip needs to do this or, you know, it needs to bend more here or less there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they would roll another blank. But remember, this they've got a company up there. That they're not waiting for me to send them another order, so I you know, join a click queue. It might be six weeks later. I get another blank, and away we go. So it, take, it takes, a, in this case, uh, it took a very long time. Because, you know, I'm not like Winston Osage. I can't just go to some, you know, the rod rolling guy and say, hey, man, knock us up a few blanks right. this afternoon. So <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah. So How's the response on. been in New Zealand? Uh, well, really good. I mean... <laughs> New Zealand is a tiny, tiny market, and mm. so everything we've done, um, you know, we don't sell a lot of anything in New Zealand. It's a country of, what are we, four million people. Um, so, you know, there's probably half a dozen people that own uh, an epic fly rod in, uh, in New Zealand. The response has been fantastic from Australia, and huge in America and in Europe. So we have, um, yeah, the reception's been mind-blowing. Yeah, just amazing. Who are you focusing on selling to these days? Who's your primary audience? Uh, for the fly rods, I mean, they are they are discerning anglers. I mean, they're not cheap. They are expensive. Our blanks and our components are not cheap, uh, and they're not cheap by design. They're really, really good. There's no expense spared. And we're finding um, anglers, and again, you know, this is credit to those rod makers and Cameron, you know, we're finding people that had never considered a glass rod previously because they thought that they were heavy and slow and noodly and ugly, uh, coming over to the dark side, you know, mm-hmm. and picking up a glass rod, um, particularly for you know dry fly fishing and things like that. So, you know, there's a lot of people that would have been casting, you know, very high end carbon fiber or even bamboo for some of their fishing. Um, you know, a glass rod might be really appropriate. So there's kind of a there's kind of a new customer in there somewhere too. Somebody that didn't you know doesn't want that old noodly, crappy, slow glass. I'm not saying that glass is, but that's certainly a perception. Yeah, and that's what my perception was because yeah, that's yeah. what it was for me back in the day. Yep. Yeah. It was nudely heavy, slow glass. Yes, yeah. And we work hard, um, you know, we work really hard to overcome that. And again, we're fortunate with our designs and the materials that we use. Uh, those rods are really light. Uh, they are responsive. They, for glass, uh, they are fast. They have a very fast recovery and response rate. Mm-hmm. They return to straight pretty quickly. Uh, and, yeah, they're just a really nice, agile stick. Um, if we were selling... Yeah, when we set out on this journey, it was really important that we were able to differentiate ourselves. So if we right. were just going to sell, 
you know, more clunky, slow, ugly glass than totally pointless, and particularly from New Zealand. I mean, you know, why would you do that? I can't see you putting your name on anything that's not top notch after having spent time with you. Well, I mean, not only yeah, well, yeah, I mean, not only would it you know kind of be just a dumb thing from a marketing point of view. It wouldn't you know, it wouldn't be much fun either, and you wouldn't sell any shit. So it's total self interest, really. Mm-hmm. It's got to be great. Well, I'm staring at the Howler Brothers signature series that you're doing for them. Yep. I think that things are about to blow up for you guys in a really big way. Are you ready for it? Uh, oh, uh, yes and no. So uh, certainly in terms of supplying blanks and components, we can cope with that. Or certainly our, you know, our partner, manufacturer, technology partner can churn them out and we can keep doing great designs. Um, we're not in a position where we will, we're, well, we will never mass produce rods uh, for certain. Uh, so going forward, we're taking on, hopefully, touch wood, um, we're we're bringing in from outside of the country, actually, a, uh, a very talented young uh, rod builder. And we hope to have just a little boutique studio and a couple of staff. And we'll make, uh, not, we will never do custom rods. So that's, you know, that's uh, for custom rod builders. But we'll do some bespoke pieces and some, yeah, unique boutique little rods that, you know. So that's kind of where we'll go with the rod thing. And hopefully that gets me back to, you know, doing the fly casting and filmmaking and, and photography, which is, you know, I really love, but I shouldn't be building fly rods. Somebody else should be doing that. So. Yeah, and that makes sense. I understand. It's yeah. just a natural transition and progression for a small business, yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Coming up, Carl shares his thoughts on the fly fishing industry, fly lines, glass rod specifics, and being a small business owner. You are incredibly outspoken. I love it. I had no idea. <laughs> Am I really? Do I have a, a reputation? Oh my god. Okay. Well, you know what? Back, hold that <laughs> thought while I reach into my purse here or my backpack here. God. No, don't worry. I'm not gonna. I don't have anything surprising here, but I am gonna. Somebody's saying, "Jesus, you with that asshole McNeil, big mouth McNeil." What's he been? <laughs> what's he been saying now? No one's called you that. But let's look at your website. Uh, you're gonna pull up the Swift Manifesto. Yeah. Is that what you get? Oh, Jesus. What's okay. your Wi-Fi? I'm not sure. If, so I get hate mail over that, and I get hate, I get abused on forums. But I'm not sure you should do that. Actually, I'm not sure it's something I'm particularly proud of at this moment. But okay, it happened at a certain point in time when I was kind of fed up with a whole lot of shit. We don't have to, but you know what? Your your password won't work for me anyway. I'll put it on my phone. You can read it. Um, it's it's a bit vain, actually. Well, let's really do this. Let's not vain. read it, but let's do this. So you are incredibly outspoken, and in oh, see, I don't think I am. You don't I aim to be more outspoken, so I, don't, I think I'm just being quite quiet and well-behaved. Maybe it's just yeah, that I you're really honest in a one-to-one conversation. Yeah. But you say it for how it is. I respect it. Don't change. Mm. Oh, we, well, we plan not to. Well, well, without offending too many people anyway. Yeah, well, so. the truth is the truth is the truth. Yeah. You could do it with tact. But, True. you know, you've got that one link on your website. Your blog is very entertaining, but that one link on tips... Is very entertaining. Now, if you've gotten Hamel on it, you've had the opportunity to take it down, and you've chose not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I think it's funny. It's yeah. humorous, and because you believe in it. I do. And if you kind of know me, and if you know me as a friend, and we've spent time together, you know, some of that is kind of tongue in cheek, and you know, being a little bit. But everything we do anyway is quite irreverent. If you look at our website, my Instagram, the rods, it is kind of, in a certain aspect, kind of poking you know our nose at. The fly fishing industry, you know, fiberglass rods. I made it, you know, we made four different colors, made a blue one. You know, we might make a pink one. I don't know. You know, why did we do that? Well, because nobody else is doing it. Yeah. Um, and why did we make glass? Because it's really fucking good and no other reason. You know, so, but we will also make some carbon fiber as well. 
You've sold me on glass. Mm, it's groovy. But I mean, if you, well, get... you might, you might, it might cast like shit. You might not like it. I have, I've cast them. Oh, you have too. That's I have. I cast them in Tassie. They're yeah, excellent. Cool, cool. So if I mean, if you get hate mail, here's your shot. Do, anything you want to say about it? Because I read those tips. Yeah. And I laughed the entire time. Good. And I mean, that you're, makes me funny. And I'm the girl who has done grip and grins and done the rock and roll videos. So yeah, yeah, yeah. believe me, if there's any and has put a rod over her shoulder. And we all have. And I was, you know, and, I, and I am that person too, of but course. But we talked about this last night. If yeah. you can't poke fun at yourself, yeah, who really. Can? Exactly, of course, of course. Yeah, but I think course. it's absolutely hilarious. And honestly, I wish that more people had the guts and the balls to be able to put their viewpoints up on there because it, it does set a standard for other people to think twice yeah. before they start... I don't know, holding a fish out of the water for 20 shots yeah, or yeah, yeah. Um, removing any soul from fishing in their Instagram exactly. posts, etc. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think generally, I mean, you know, that post and some of the stuff we do is a bit of a, um, a bit of a piss take of the industry. I think that, you know, we take ourselves all far too seriously. Um, we've kind of turned, to some extent, we've turned what is, you know, quite fundamentally simple, very beautiful sport, aesthetic, whatever you want to call it, and some high-tech, extreme, you know, God, I don't even know what it is. Um, uh, yeah, and, and yeah, and it, it's just a bit ridiculous. And all, but all, and it's driven by the industry too, you know. Um, fly rod manufacturers crack me up, you know, every year, you know, they've reinvented something. It's, you know, lighter, faster, stronger. It's just, that's just total bullshit. You know, carbon fiber and the, it's quite a, it's a reasonably mature industry. We don't make quantum leaps and you know, materials and stuff every year. It's kind of just the same shit, different day. It really is. Right. You know, so we're all going to rush out and spend 1200 bucks on the newest, how's your father? Well, <laughs> fuck, it's no better than the one that was built 10 years ago. Probably, you know, it really isn't. It's like fashion. Exactly. It is fashion. It's trendy, you know, and, and um, yeah, and as you kind of get, uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say older and wiser, certainly no wiser, but I think, you just become less tolerant of the bullshit, really. And, um, yeah, I think not enough people that should say something say something. You know, and it could be about conservation. Not enough people speak up about conservation issues, that's for sure. Uh, you know, fisheries protection. Um, a fly casting. You know, the shit that's put on the internet about fly casting is unbelievable. You know, as a fly casting instructor, I read some of that stuff and go, my God, you know, that's just put us back... 30 years. Right. You know, we know more about fly casting now than we have you know, for almost the whole history of fly casting. And yet there are still well-known uh, magazines and websites just expounding absolute bullshit about fly casting. And, and what concerns me even more, heaps of young people reading that and going out and learning all the crap that we've been trying to kind of reverse engineer all these years. So. What's the solution to that? Uh, what is the solution? Well, I mean, I think if you're a, if you're a magazine uh, or you have a blog, then you've got a like all you know the you know you've got a responsibility to um, get your shit straight. Uh, and in I think probably in the desperation for everyone to you know blog and write crap, they just take uh, articles and information off anyone. So um, I think that you know what we're calling now popular media or new media could should be uh, more discerning. Uh, check their sources uh, and understand the stuff that they're publishing. You know, is it correct? Is it not? Is it crap? You know, just take some responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a large part of it. Um, and I know that um, as you know, you're you're a certified, you're a qualified fly casting instructor yourself. So there's a lot of stuff that we know to be fundamental truths around the physics of fly casting, and it actually doesn't take much to understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not hard to get it right. 
you know, it's really not. And, you know, the truth is out there. Right. So, you know. And and as you know, fly fishing and fly casting, you know, opinions on that are like assholes. Everyone has one, mm-hmm. right? but only a few are kind of uh, qualified to you know make a diagnosis. Well, yeah. I love chatting with you about this last night when you were saying, you know, when I go fishing, it's entirely different. And you were saying that when people fish with you, they're half expecting that you're analyzing their casts. Oh, no, 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 yeah. But casting and fishing, they, I can understand when casting, you have to cast well to catch certain fish, especially yeah. on the flats. But yeah. I'm not worried about looking pretty when I'm out no, there. No, 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 no. no. So, um, you know, I, you and I will get to fish together, not in this trip because we're both too busy, but... Um, you know, I'm a crap caster out on the river. People see me and go, fuck hell, you know, geez, I can't believe you did that. I've got flies up trees just like everyone else. You know, I'm hopeless, oh, I haven't hopeless out in the air, not for a long time anyway. You know, and I've got, you know, wind knots and, you know, it's no different. Um, so, but that, you know, fishing, uh, fishing is fishing. And I certainly, yeah, you don't diagnose your buddies when you're out in the river. So, you know, can I give you some casting tips? So, you know, what a totally wanky thing. If you're thing, that guy, thing. we're not fishing I know, together. I know. What a wanky thing to, you know. And, like, you know, if you take me steelheading, I'll be I'll certainly be asking for some help and advice. But I would hope that you kind of nod over my shoulder going, Carl, you're looking like an idiot there, you know. No, I'm going to be fishing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And as you know, when you fly fishing, you just it's, it's a very selfish sport. You're focused on you. You know, that's it. I, Jesus, Bigfoot could be standing behind me in the forest. I would have no idea. <laughs> right. you know, Jesus. <laughs> He's my homeboy. There you go. Yeah, we're there pretty you go. Good. We're yeah. pretty tight. So, yeah. But where do you see yourself in this industry? What would you ideally like to see as your role in this industry? Uh, I, I don't see myself in the industry, and I, and I, don't, I don't have a role. I, and in a contrary to popular opinion, I don't have those delusions of grandeur. Jeannie and I do this um, because we get a kick out of it, and we enjoy doing it. And, um, you know, everyone's got to make a buck, and uh, we've chosen to do this. So, you know, I don't think I have a responsibility, uh, and, you know, others might think I do or not. No, we're just kind of doing our thing, and, um, you know, if we put some stuff up that people like, that's terrific. Um, and if not, that's fine too. Um, who knows? You know, we might be doing something totally different in five years, you know, living in a yurt, you know, eating mung beans, painting with our toes. I don't know. I hope you're doing all those things. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they there all... Last night they sounded excellent. <laughs> so, so, so no, I haven't got any, you know, kind of want to go out and change the world and, you know, evangelize anything. I would like to see um, more people, you know, um, doing a better job of their fly casting, only because they'll get more enjoyment out of their sport, you know, and less indus- uh, indu- injuries. Um, but apart from that, no. Yeah. Do you know what the number one cause of eye injury is in the world? Apparently, says one of my clients. No, who's you're going to tell me it's doctor. flies or something? No. Steelhead flies. No, be more creative than that. It's actually got nothing to do with fishing. I have no idea. Bungee cords. Oh, shit, really? Oh, yeah, it would be. Yeah. Yeah, totally get that. They're brutal. Bungee, yeah, bungee cords breaking off tarpaulins and things. Yep. Well, where, what else do you? What else can you see yourself expanding into? Are you interested in the real market? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. So, yes, we're going um, to release. <laughs> it's like the second coming of Christ. We're going to release a fly reel, uh, a hubless fly reel. It has no centre axle in it, uh, and you know, hopefully, we're going to see that this year, 2015. Carl says, hopefully, you know, and that his reel maker is listening and is going to get his ass into gear. So we're going to do uh, one fly reel, uh, one very, very cool fly reel, and we're going to do a fly line, and um, and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we're fortunate with the fly line because. Um, Bruce Richards, 
Scientific Anglers 3 and my mentor, my fly casting mentor, I think he's the you know the best fly caster teacher instructor in the world, bar none. Mm-hmm. Hope you're listening, Bruce. <laughs> uh, has very kindly uh, said that he'll help us uh, with a fly line because I'm not a fly line designer, so it's great. Do glass rods need to have a different sort of fly line on them? Not really, and this is a whole different podcast uh, treatise on. No, I don't. Not really. Um, glass, we tend to, we do tend to uh, cast shorter distances, so that might lend itself to a certain weight or profile on a fly line. Why? Uh, just so they load up a bit quicker. You know, we want to, you know, we want a fly rod to bend and create a nice loop. Um, a lot of glass guys I know like double taper lines. And that may be, you know, more for sort of historical reasons than anything else. You're very opinionated on fly lines. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's the truth. You're allowed to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, oh, you're talking about my weight forward. Uh, I did a rant about weight forward <laughs> fly lines. Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's the truth. You know, that's. Yeah. But the average angler doesn't know this. Will you elaborate? Uh, yeah, okay. So um, most of the industry make, uh, fly line manufacturers make weight forward fly lines, which is fantastic. And they're marvellous fly lines and we love them. And they're great for fishing. And they're great for fishing. Of course they are. And then, um, you know, I don't know about females, but most blokes kind of, you know, at some stage in their fly casting, fly fishing career, think they're going to become a distance caster. I'm not a distance caster, by the way. I'm a crap distance caster, but I do. I have friends that are excellent distance casters. Right. Uh, and you know one of the fundamental mistakes that you can make is you know trying to distance cast what would be a fairly conventional weight forward fly line and the reason is is that you know after the head of that fly line you know the running line isn't fly line and after that head is outside the tip top you're not casting fly line you're flailing around with you know thin running line so uh, it, it depends on how you know there's lots of technicalities and it depends on how long the head of the Line is da, 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 They typically da. average thirty six between thirty and thirty six feet. You got it. You yeah. got it. So um, yeah. So the advice there was, if you want to get into you know distance casting, you need to get a long belly line, or maybe even you know a double taper or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah. so and then there's lots of misconceptions in fly cast, fly fishing, as you well know. You know um, that um, yeah. a lot of it's just total bullshit. What's your take on overloading the rod? Uh, overlining in terms of overloading, putting too heavy um, a weight on it. Yeah. Um, if you asked me along a few years ago, I would have said you know overlining rods is total crap, and um, you know you should stick to what the fly rod manufacturer recommended. Mm-hmm. Now, having built a few rods and done a lot more casting, and again being a bit more sort of mature in my outlook, look if you want to put. Upline a rod, knock yourself out. It's, you know, it's your gig, it's your deal. Don't care. The interesting thing, and there's a great article to be written on this, there is no uh, set industry standard to specify how a, fly line, how a fly rod bends. So what I call a five-weight fly rod, it's actually no such thing. As a designer, we've, I've just said, the rod that I made... I think, casts best with a five-weight fly line. Oh, There's actually no measurement or set of calibrations to specify that that rod is a five-weight rod. But fly lines have to go through some Correct, sort of Correct, through the, F, the, yeah, the AFMA standard. So the first yeah. 30 feet of every fly line is specified in grains or grams, if you're metric, right. to fit you know, whether it's a five, six, seven-weight fly line. So, but rods don't No, have it's that. totally arbitrary. It's oh. totally arbitrary. I didn't know that. So that's why, you know, you'll go to uh, one manufacturer, you'll pick up their six-weight fly, fly rod, and it's very, very stiff, 
and very, very fast. And you might go to another manufacturer and pick up a rod that he says is a, or she says is also a six-weight. And it might be you know, very slow and more deeper bending and be quite different. Both those rods, the, manuf- the designer has said that they're a six-weight rod, but that's totally arbitrary. That is a number they've pulled out of their ass that they think that they want their rod to be called and the line that they think that it you know, performs optimally with. So it's mm. totally, really is arbitrary. There's one, uh, there's really only one system um, called the common sense system put out uh, by an American gentleman uh, in his attempt to have establish a standard for classifying uh, the intrinsic properties, the power and the, and the bends of rod, which I use on my rods. So, you know, my rods are kind of, as much as as is possible, I would say, are true weighted. So, you know, we've used this formula and certain fly lines so that my five, I believe, is a real five. So, you know, if you take a really fast rod from Sage, they call it a five. Well, that would be a Winston seven. Right. You know, so it is quite arbitrary. So, sorry, kind of off track there. No, it's so, right. you know, talking about overlying rods, coming back to, you know, that question was, it kind of happens anyway. It's just an arbitrary thing, you know. It's a, I could tell, you know, somebody could say, Carl, I want you to make a really stiffer, faster, eight-foot fiberglass rod. Well, I have a five-weight there. You can see it. It's salsa. Mm-hmm. Now, it's called a 580. It's, I, I, I say it's a five-weight. If I called that a 380 to cast a three-weight line, immediately... That would appear to be a faster, stiffer rod, wouldn't it? Nothing's changed <laughs> right. apart from I called it a three now. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Do you think that that might deter some consumers when they look at the boutique rods and go, "Well, you know what? I'm going to have to buy five different fly lines to see what loads it properly." Uh, well, hopefully, if I've done my homework correctly, and um, and we will recommend a few fly and a few fly lines for our rods. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I've done my homework correctly, you know, we'll produce a line that we think you know helps the rod perform optimally. But remember too that the whole kind of rod fly line thing is total totally ass about face. Most common question in all forums. I just bought a you know, Scott, blah blah, what line does it like? Well, you know, <laughs> fuck the rod doesn't like anything. It's an you know, it's a dead piece of crap. It doesn't actually like anything. Right. Uh, and you know, we buy a what we tend to do as consumers, we buy a rod mm-hmm. and we buy a line and then we stick some flies on the end. And that's totally ass about face. What we should be doing is, you know, looking at the species, looking at the fish we're fishing for, looking where we're fishing, and buying some flies, okay? So now I'm either fishing, you know, tiny little size 18, you know, tricos or some damn thing, mm-hmm. or like you, some, you know, dirty big intruders or whatever. <laughs> and so that's the fly that I'm using. Okay, so what leader is going to turn that over? So, I, right, I whack a leader on that. Now, what fly line am I going to have to use to present those flies correctly? Is it a dry fly line? Is it floating? Is it sinking? Mm-hmm. Is it an aggressive weight forward? Is it a spay line? Whatever. So, you know, the fishing in the fly dictates the fly line. So you're working from the fly down. We all should. You're all, you're all energy transfer here. Yeah, we, sh- we all should. And you know about fly casting. So, you know, in fly casting, the fly just goes along for the ride. You're casting the fly line. The fly's just going along for the ride. So instead of us all buying rods that we like and, you know, and then whacking fly lines on and then sticking our flies there, we should be working backwards and choosing a fly line based on the type of fishing we like and then buying the rod that will handle that fly line really nicely. But what about textured lines? Do you have an opinion on textured lines? Uh, ooh, yeah, uh, I haven't cast uh, any recent, I haven't cast any recent uh, fly lines. I cast... Um, Bruce Rich, oh, well, Scientific Angler's uh, first textured fly lines, and that was, when did they come out? More than 10 years ago, I suppose. The shark skin, do you mean? Yeah, the shark skin. Yeah. 
Um, wasn't, you know, wasn't a great fan of the noise, like probably most of the industry, uh, yeah. but loved the taper. I think um, all S- personally, I'm an SA guy, I think their tapers are fantastic and always have been, but I'm totally biased. <laughs> I, but I haven't, I haven't cast any recent textured lines, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's just interesting because yeah. I've been yeah. looking into the silk line history. Yeah. And they have the texture. And I really oh, I'd love to do them. a silk line. Or, yeah, we well, might we might have to do. Yeah, I should, should bring my silk line over yeah, next time yeah, I come out. Yeah, I've never cast one, but Put we it should on one of these. we should do that. Which what, part of what we're trying to do, we're trying to kind of emulate some of the properties of a traditional silk line and a modern line. So mm-hmm. whether that pan pans out or not, but Why do you think the consumer is finally saying, "Listen, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of the top 3 companies and I want to branch out and explore more of these boutique or these artistic companies?" What do you think is swaying the consumer these days? Because there is a huge uprising in. Is there good? The past. Excellent. Long may it continue. Um, why? God, you know, I don't look. I don't know. I, I know that certainly, and I'm not sure if it's you know I've changed as you know I become older and more discerning, um, or the markets change. But I think more and more people seem to appreciate something that is special, uh, is you know maybe slightly different, bespoke, custom. Um, uh, has, has some craftsmanship in it. Um, some people buy because it's supporting local industry. You know, all sorts of reasons. A big part for me, having been you know pro star for a couple of com- companies, I just couldn't keep up with the shit they were doing. Every year, there's ten you know ten new rods and twenty new lines, and God, you know, just it's just a total mindfuck. Do you, you think? Now and, and I know what I'm talking. Well. I kind of know what I'm talking about, and I can't keep up with it. It's like, Jesus. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Do you think that we're just getting, we're wiser, or we're more, yeah. we're smarter when it comes to marketing? We can see through it now? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, so, hope what, so. Do you, what do you think the future holds? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, we've certainly seen, you know, a bit of a rationalization over companies and amalgamations and, you know, a few dying and being resurrected over the years. Future, I... I think, I suspect, and this is obviously what um, we're playing to, you're going to go and you see more and more boutique, small boutique manufacturers of handmade artisan goods. And we're seeing that with, uh, you know, uh, bat rod bags, um, with Smith Fly and Vivadu uh, in the US, uh, recycled waders, uh, people making, you know, there's a couple of guys that do make silk uh, fly lines. There's people that make many handmade rods and cane. Um, we know a guy in the US that just makes real seeds. Um, and that's um, Joel Lemke, who's ex-Struble. Um, so he just makes real seeds. So, yeah, I think hopefully, you know, we're going to see more and more and more of that. And, you know, globally and business-wise, that's, business-wise, that's a, great, uh, a great thing for everyone. It's great for the planet. It's great for people's incomes. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I'm sure that we'll see more of that. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. It'd be nice to see a little less of a monopoly. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and less stuff um, being mass produced offshore. And and you know, don't want to go down that track. And there's a time and a place for that. And I totally accept that. But it's, you know, it's kind of nice that you're feeding the village. You know, I, I reckon. Yeah. Now you're getting into the carbon. Yep. Carbon fiber. Yep. Said we never would. Yep. So what happened? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm holding yeah, it right now. Right Isn't now. it a great looking beast? Um, gorgeous. So you said you'd never do it. What happened? Oh, yeah, what did happen? Um, you know, I always, you know, the, the, the world needs another six-weight fly rod, <laughs> nine-foot six-weight fly rod, like it needs another hole in the head. <laughs> you know, there's too many now, and there's too many good ones. You know, it's, it's really hard to find a shitty rod. Um, right. Look, you know, to be totally open and honest, it's just business and economics. Uh, people were saying, you know, why don't you make a carbon? Why are you making glass? Why are you making glass? Why don't you make a carbon fiber rod? So, shit, we're making two. We're making a five-way 
and a uh, six weight and nine foot four piece, you know, the most popular two fishing rods, freshwater fishing rods in the world. Right. Uh, and we'll do them, uh, and we'll do them in the kit because I reckon you know there's a lot of people that we might not kind of get over to the dark side with glass, but would like to build their own high quality carbon fiber rods. So we'll produce them here, and we'll uh, make it as a kit option. So and that should be fun, and you know hopefully we'll get a few takers. Time will tell. You know I don't know. Yeah. No, you don't sell in shops. Um, we do and we don't. We um, we have a few outlets, a very small number. We have a couple in the US, and we have. A small handful uh, in Europe, um, and we don't sell in shops for a few a couple of reasons. Uh, one, we can't supply. T- we, we, our biggest problem is um, supplying our stuff. If you looked at you looked in our racks this morning, there's not a lot of stuff there. It comes in, it goes out. Um, so that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, we wherever possible, uh, we like to sell direct to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of reasons. Being totally open and honest about that, I want to get the full margin. Yeah, we're you know, business owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, you're also this is your full time job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And Jeannie's full time job. Correct, correct. Yeah. So people think, and, and it's like that when we were doing DVDs. You know, people pirate our DVDs and think it's harmless, and they're kind of you know they're ripping off some big multinational. Shit, it's me and Jeannie. Yeah. There's two people. You know, when you you know they rip off our forty dollar DVD. You know, quite literally, that's forty dollars that we didn't get. Right. So with the rods. Uh, and the components, uh, we do do some wholesale, but and we do wholesale to rod builders. Our preference going forward is that we'll uh, sell direct to consumer um, for a number of reasons. A, we do really like to have that direct relationship with your customers. You know, they send us pictures of you know their epic catches, and you know, mum and dad and the kids with an epic fly rod, and here right. we are watching your DVD, and that's a huge um, thrill. It's something really serendipitous that we never accounted for when we sort of got into this whole thing. It's, it's, and you know that. You know, people you know, send you letters and fan mail and say, well, you know, it's great, it's very cool. You know. uh, so, and we would kind of miss out on some of that, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah you would. Yeah, and, and uh, we also get tremendous feedback. Um, and so people, you know, they say to me, you know, Carl, this is shit, or this could be green, or have you thought about that? And it's great to have that direct feedback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a purely business point of view, uh, we get the full margin. Um, generally, as you know, the markup on fly fishing gear throughout most of the world is 100%. You know, the price has doubled. So for a fly angler, you know, the $1,000 rod that they just purchased or the $600 rod in the US, you know, $300 of that is not in the rod. It's, it, it went to a distributor, you know, mm-hmm. two distributors, a retailer, and that's great. You know, we should support local tackle shops, rah, rah, rah. You know, I can see the bloody hate mail coming now. But the fact of the matter is, is that... You know, at least half of the cost of the, the whatever it is uh, is not in the product. Right. So our preference would be to sell less and put you know all that money into making really, 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 really good product. Yeah, and you're doing that. I can see that. Yeah, and and and, and it's not uh, it's not cheap to do. You know, you know, I can tell you off air what um, those components cost. Well, those components cost a lot more than any production rod made because they are far far better. And we don't get huge volume. You know, we're not making a thousand rods a year, and right. I think we probably don't want to do that. How many rods a year are you making right now? Do you think? Well, last year we sold seven hundred blanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. Which, well, in our tiny little niche. This is year three, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's that's probably not bad for you know our tiny little niche. It's awesome. Uh, finished rods. I have no idea because we actually don't build. We try not to build them. I've, I've mm-hmm. probably I've probably built. Half a dozen rods, you know, for on special request, working on some howler stuff. Um, yeah, ask me in a couple of years. Yeah. 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 
Very, this is all super interesting. Now, are there any questions about glass that I just don't know to ask? No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I, I just think like all things in fly fishing, we shouldn't kind of get too technical on all this crap. You can overanalyze it, you know, to death. Um, they, they are really lovely to cast. Um, they're incredibly strong um, rods, and they just have some real heart and soul in them. Um, mm -hmm. I'll show you upstairs. You can pick up a set of carbon fiber blanks, and they're quite stiff and cold and inert and kind of clunky. And you pick up a handful of fiberglass blanks, and they're kind of all warm and soft and kind of funky, you know, it's, yeah, it is it's it is quite different. But why when I pick these up, do they not feel as heavy as I remember? Uh, it's modern materials, so um, those particular blanks are made from uh, a quite a modern uh, glass fibre. Uh, it's S2 glass, so it's uh, a little bit stiffer and a little bit, has a high, slightly higher modulus of elasticity than the older stuff that you were referring to uh, previously. And it's fully unidirectional, and by that I mean... Certainly in days of old, most glass was uh, cross-weave. Mm. So if you can imagine, you know, your plaid shirt, yeah, yeah, and the fibres, and it looks like a, um, if you can think about, you know, the fibreglass that's used on your surfboard or whatever, that cross-weave. Well, you know, when you're making a fly rod, you don't actually need all those fibres going crosswise. What you want to do is kind of get most of the fibres going long ways and running up and down the rod. Ah. And that's where they do some work. We need some cross-fibres for hoop strength and so the tube doesn't collapse. And, you know, historically we've used a scrim for that. But if you can get all those fibres going up and down for a fly rod, that's where they work. So it's that you have less fibres in it? Uh, so not so much less fibres, but they're, uni they're fully unidirectional. How would that change the weight, though? Uh, well, it means that we can probably use, we can use a little bit less material. The walls don't have to be as thick. They don't have uh, as much resin, and we get more strength in it. So because yeah, the walls aren't that yeah, thick. they're quite thin. In fact, I'm just going to quickly look at your yeah, yeah. There, there'll be probably bigger difference fiber. between the carbon fiber one and the glass one. Uh, have you weighed the two to compare them? Uh, yeah, and I can't tell you what that number is without looking on my website. I'm looking so. at the walls though between the two, and there's no difference. Yeah, yeah not really. Yeah, exactly, and but there's more. You know, we've got a wider. Oh, this is this is an eight. The, 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 uh, yeah, um, I can tell it's, it's, different. it's definitely a different rod. But do you think so? That, very similar now. Do you Pretty think similar. that we just missed this? Do you yep. think that glass was on its way to finally evolving into this amazing yeah. product, and we skipped it and went straight to graphite? Uh, I do, and but in saying that too, there are a lot of really, really beautiful and beautifully casting old glass rods. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not just the material, obviously. And you know, fly rods are all about tapers and design. You cast cane and you've fallen in love with cane. Mm -hmm. It's not a particularly modern certain certain cane. I mean yep. it's all it all depends. There you go. So yeah, so there are good and bad and carbon fiber, glass and cane. It's the same uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. And there are some fantastic old glass rods, you know, that came mm -hmm. out of Winston and Shakespeare and all those companies, no doubt about it. Certainly nowadays with modern materials, we can make them lighter uh, and stiffer and more responsive than they were 30 years ago. No doubt about it. Yeah. Is there anything that you want to add about your job, documentaries, life, philosophy, industry? No. You're missing? No, no, that would be pious and bullshitty. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Do you have any questions for me or is there anything that you'd like to add? Uh, no, I have lots of questions for you. I probably won't ask them on air though. Um, <laughs> No, no, that's uh, no, that's really it. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Thanks for the opportunity. It's great to yeah, and great to meet you and finally get you Likewise, there. Likewise, thanks know, for having me in your around. shop. Pleasure. Well, when you come back, hopefully there should be a couple of you know rod makers here, and there'll be sawdust flying around and rods marching out all around over the world. I want to make one in here. Cool. Come and do it. Awesome. Come and do it. Thank you. Awesome. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening, and I hope you tune in again soon. <laughs>